no intro with this podcast, but um, I'm going to go, we're, we're live and podcasting at the same time, so if you guys want to go and look at this, uh, we are on Sniper's Hide live in the Sniper's Hide app uh, with the live streaming. I've got the, my router fixed, I replaced my router, and that was part of the dropouts that we were having when we were going live. It kept cutting out, and it turned out that my internet router was fucked up, so I had to replace it. So we are live in the Sniper's Hide podcast as well as live in the Sniper's Hide community right now with Chris Way here. Chris popped over hey, Friday afternoon. Oh, yeah. I hope you guys appreciate this because Ancient Aliens is on right now and I'm not watching it, but I DVR'd <laughs> it, so I'll be okay. I never watched that. We'll have to watch it. Ancient Aliens is so awesome, dude. It, it, it goes back in time so perfect the way like, because here's the deal. Have you seen or heard any of the... 2030 like the military has a 2030 program where the marine corps like part of this no snipers in the marine corps no tanks no artillery there's this island hopping thing they want to do for 2030 where they're basically saying they're gonna uh protect things with a company well all this stuff is going 2030 2030 the clean energy stuff climate change 2030 well what they're saying is in 2029 we're going to have the aliens show up. Like, they're going to reveal in 2029. But they're not going to be good aliens. They're going to be bad ones. And they want, the bad ones want three quarters of us gone. Like, they're like, earthlings are fucked. Three quarter of you got to go. We can work with a quarter of you, but the rest you're out. So, this whole 2030 thing is because in 2029, we're going to be depopulated by the aliens. And then... We'll 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 kind of rejigger the earth for you know for our alien overlords with their democratic um, minions. W waiting six years isn't so bad. Though. No, like that's coming. We got soon. time. We got time. So anyway, we wanted to talk small, medium, and large. Like, and it, and and don't think like small Frank, medium guy, large Chris. Think small, medium, large. Like. Close, medium, long distance, big caliber, medium caliber, small caliber, right? So think small, medium, and large in a variety of ways. Because what we're finding, like everything we do is how I look at it. You pick up a data book. Could be 10 years ago. Could be a data book from tomorrow. You're going to pick it up. You're going to turn to the informational pages. It's going to give you... 308 with a 10 mile an hour win. Everything's going to be 308 with a 10 mile an hour win. Why is that? Because they they want to average everything. Mm -hmm. And if you do a gun number in MOA with a 308, it's 10 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. So they were trying to shortcut us. But one size doesn't fit all. We all aren't shooting a 308. We aren't shooting a 30 odd six, right? We're in different calibers now. So what they're trying to do is help us in one way, but they really hurt us in a big way because everything out there is set for something you're not using, mm -hmm. you know? So now what we're trying to do through podcasts, through videos, through live streams, through Sniper's Hide, through Straight Dope, through all these different things we're doing, it was trying to sort the situation for you and what you're using. So we're bouncing around and we're looking at big caliber, little caliber, the Valkyrie, the 6.5, the 6 Creed. We're looking at all these things and we're trying to tell you how to adjust it and manipulate it for you, right? To be specific. You know, if I'm talking hunting, NRL hunter, and long range hunting, that's going to be lost on a guy from Ohio or Iowa, where they have straight pipe center fires only. They can't shoot long-range center fire cartridges. They can only shoot those pistol cartridges for, like, deer. So when, like, I met kids in Ohio. I talked about this. I'm at the bar. We got shooters. We got kids going, hey, you guys are talking guns. What do you do? The next thing you know, these kids are telling me, hey, man, we shoot deer every day here. Look at my trail cam. There's 50 deer in this kid's back field. 
He doesn't know the first thing about adjusting sights. He points and he hits them. Right. So right. what we're talking about doesn't work for that guy. So we really need to get specific. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So. Yeah. And I mean, this translates to tons, tons of, tons of. Yeah. Um, you're throwing numbers topics. down. So talk people like uh, in the wind and gun number. Right. Right. So, so the small, medium, large, we're, you know, it's, we're just bouncing ideas, right? This isn't a fixed, like this is, but, but, but as a general way of thinking about things, you can have light rifles, medium weight rifles, heavy rifles. You could have light recoil or no recoil, medium recoil, heavy recoil. And we could be talking about wind we could talk about bc there's there's a lot of things but there are these zones that things operate in so we've been scribbling down different ways of hashing out what what do people get with these different zones in terms of training value right and that training value is just one topic out of essentially infinite and so i started playing around with the numbers of of gun number and so i'm just going to make up a generic uh, gun number that most of us are familiar with. Let's say a six mile an hour gun. So I'm gonna write six on a piece of paper here. So a six mile an hour gun, I'm gonna say is a, a six five Creedmoor. So what that means is that at 600 yards, uh, one mile an hour of wind is gonna move that bullet one tenth, right, from where you're aiming it, which is which is actually really really interesting, right, and. So if, if we if we say and, and so I had written out different mile per hour guns and so I'm gonna have the six there just just like I had I'm gonna show it here to this the camera underneath it I'm gonna write a four because that because you mentioned a 308 and I can think of 308s as a four mile an hour gun mm-hmm. so at 400 yards right at 400 yards one mile an hour of wind difference is gonna move that bullet one tenth right so so at that gun's distance. Right. If it's a six mile an hour gun, it's at six hundred yards. If it's a four mile an hour gun, it's at four hundred four hundred yards. But one mile an hour of wind difference is gonna move that bullet one tenth in your sight. So you could adjust wind. If you knew it was ten miles an hour of wind, you would at that point you would hold ten tenths or one mil from where your point of aim was, and that ten miles an hour would move it appropriately. And just like Frank said, right a four a four mile an hour gun for a 308 with 10 miles an hour of wind is going to be one mil so the math works out really well so what i think is interesting about the small medium large is if we take our gun number and we cut it in half right so for the 6.5 creedmoor we got three for the 308 we have 200 yards right um and then you know right we make that kind of a span and we call that small by 300 or, or, or if, if six is even, or, or 400 is even, but then if we double it, so, so, so we say, if, well, the six is going to be 12, the four is going to be eight, and then if you look, then it's going to be three, six, we could put nine in there, and 12, two, four, six, eight, that brackets three windows, right? So for the Creedmoor, you got 300 yards to 600 yards is a zone, six to nine is a zone, and nine to 12 is a zone. Then for the for the 308, you got two to four is a zone, four to six is a zone, and six to eight is a zone. And so if that is small, medium, large, we got these zones that ballistically different things happen, right? If you're shooting a 308 between six and eight hundred yards, you're probably gonna see similar effects than with a Creedmoor shooting nine hundred to twelve hundred yards. And these zones you're gonna shoot them different. Then somebody in this close range, like two, 200 yards to 400 yards or 300 yards to 600 yards. So I, I think thinking about what you're training in those distances uh, is, is categorically different, right? So I, sh- I, I talk about shooting paper at 100 yards because you understand your system's accuracy, your load's accuracy, all of the little gadgets' accuracy. Your fundamental ability gets measured at 100 yards. But, but then you hear people saying, well, I want to see what happens at 300 yards right? or, 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 or you know, in this zone. And all of a sudden, you start to add these environmental effects, and those compound it as, as you go out with distance. And so you know, if you were going to train one area of your fundamentals or one area of ballistics, it might be better suited in one of these three zones of what you're testing. And so if you're training or you're measuring people, I think it's good to keep in mind which zone 
and what calibers those people are shooting for the things that you're testing specifically. Because if I wanted to test somebody's natural point of aim, I'm probably not going to go in the 900 to 1200 yard category to test somebody's natural point of aim consistency because it's more likely what we're able to measure at that, that distance um, is environmentally related, and, and I'll, ballistically and related. I want to jump in real quick. An MPA drill, we used to do at rifles only. We used to do, we do them at 300 yard, MPA drill. You're talking about MPA. 300 yard, put a target out there. And what we would do at rifles only is we would do it at night. We would put a spotlight on the target, have you set up your MPA, then turn the light off, wait like 30 seconds and have you fire. Like somewhere in there, we're going to give you a gun command, a fire command, and have you shoot. And if we hear the hit, we know your MPA is good. Now what we started to do down the road when I would do that during the day is use your scope cap. Get you there, get you all set up, get your MPA. Now this is a prone MPA type of thing, but you would get your head set up or your, your MPA set up, and then we would close the scope cap and do the same thing. So you basically MPA on the target, everything's good, close the scope cap, and then say fire 10, 15, 20 seconds down the road. And, awesome. and that was an MPA drill we would use. But we would do it at night because we would need a drill to do at night because you're going out to shoot at night, so have a couple things to do rather than one stage. And so MPA drill was one of them we would do. Oh, man, I like that. I like that. Speaking of rifles only and some of the, the same things, I remember being there and um, for, for memory, uh, there was a, a series of, of black circles. You know, they were like black shooting seas, maybe two inch in, in like a clock pattern. But there was nothing written on there. And the instructions were from every position, you're going to take one shot at the appropriate black circle. But the problem is you couldn't see a bullet hole in that black circle. So you had to remember which ones you shot at because you couldn't see which ones you shot at. Mm -hmm. Your bullet hole was gone. And so you had to remember like, okay, that was the two o'clock one. Mm -hmm. You're in a new position and you're worried about like, okay, you know, I got to keep hustling, but, but it, it would be easy to get out of sequence. And then you didn't get any points if there was, two bullet holes in the same circle. Right. So, right. And, and that was actually way harder than it sounds um, because of, of things like that. But and I, I like that. Turning like, off the lights or scope caps or shooting at night. Our eyes mess a lot of things up. Like the whole like bullets going to sleep is recoil. Like people are affected by our scopes and recoil. So you'll get the guy with a magnum. We talk, we're, we're, I talk big caliber, right? You wanted to talk... Like recoil differences with a magnum. You take a guy with a magnum at 100 yards and they shoot really bad. Then you put him at 300 yards and they shoot really well. Okay? And it's like, well, my bullet didn't go to sleep. Well, what makes you think that? Because my group at 100 is terrible. My group at 300 is good. Well, what it is is when you're in your scope on 25 power, that recoil looks like an earthquake. Like, holy shit, my world is moving. And your brain hates it. But when you recoil out at distance, now the world is big and open and the movement in the scope is much softer. And we're not reacting to that feeling. You know what I mean? So that's part of what's going on. And um, yeah, I mean, it's eyesight. And, and what it is is the our eyes are giving information to our brain, our brain is interpreting it as something negative, making us shoot bad, mm -hmm. and that's what's going on. Yeah, I could I could, I could, could see that. I, I mean, it, yeah, I think when you first said that, I thought, okay, you're going to mention parallax, because if people don't have their parallax up close, the group could be better. Yeah, absolutely. And at distance, it's harder to do, because a lot of scopes... They don't, they've got more grace as you, as you move out. The other thing, like you mentioned is, is, you know, if I, I'm trying to empathize with the shooter right now and I, I, you know, because of my surgery, I can't shoot right now. So, um, if I've got wobble and I got it zoomed in and I'm shooting really close and I'm looking at the target and I'm trying to get that reticle to stop moving, I can imagine myself tensing up. And if I tense up, I'm going to probably throw off my NPA or I'm going to be less consistent. Whereas if I'm at a distance, that target's a little bit smaller. I can see more and I'm going to stay more relaxed. And if I'm more relaxed, I'm not going to tense up 
and and therefore I'm not going to be muscling shots out of place. I could think of a couple reasons that you could probably test and show that when, you know, if you're consistently relaxed, you're going to be more consistent. And if you try to tense to stop the reticle from moving, even though visually you might it might look like you're doing that, I think you're going to for sure throw off that point of impact because I think we show every time we take somebody out on paper, the shooter has so much of an impact, uh, impact uh, an effect on mm-hmm. where that bullet goes in a small range that you could have bad groups at 100 that are indicative of like something that you're doing wrong that at a distance you're not as inclined to be as, as, as intense. And, and you know, like, is it going to happen so fast that I want to see it at a hundred? Whereas at 300, 400, 500, 600 takes it a little bit for the bullet to get there. So you're not hurrying so much yeah. to get back on. So you're not muscling it and you're not anticipating, Holy shit, I need to see this. So you can relax and let it follow through. That distance gives you time and opportunity to recover from the recoil mm-hmm. to let you get back on target. We're, for guys who can't see their own impacts, you want to practice that and start at 400 yards. Get yourself a berm or a, a target at 400 with a berm behind it, and you want to work on seeing your splash at 400. That's usually a good early mix of time of flight to help you. Not so fast, you'll miss it. Where if you can see your own impacts at, at 400, that's usually a good starting point. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I wonder what the flinch response, like, you know, m- I'm just going to make a wild guess, but but around 400, you're probably talking about half a second for the bullet to get there, and half a second is enough for you to, to get disrupted but have your eyes back on target. Which, think about that. I mean, yeah. how fast you're, like, screwing up and blacking out where at 100, you don't see anything. At 2 and 3, you don't see anything. You're barely recovering, mm-hmm. but at 4... You're able to recover. Yeah, your eyes like okay, bang, and that's probably that's probably my guess is that's probably a zone where all of a sudden physiologically we're able to start like becoming aware after. That yeah, huge yeah, explosion, totally, totally. Right? Yeah, but but I think that that's really interesting to think about. Um, but these zones, I think, are are cool because if you can identify the zones for your cartridge, the zones for the things that you're going to be training, you might be able to pick. You know, if it, let's say you went to a range for some reason and say, well, I only have a 500-yard target. What should I train today? I think that there are some things that training at 500 yards would be best suited for, and there's some things that if you train them at 500 yards, you're not going to make the progress and gains that you think you will. Um, and, and I think that it, it that just relates directly to these zones and thinking about, you know, if I can only shoot 100 yards, there's some things that I'm going to train. If I can only shoot... 600 yards i'm gonna train something else but not the things that i could train at 100 well we we kind of dealt with that when you first started the craft stuff you were at green mill <laughs> and i mean that's a in case you oh, wait a minute jacob jacob's trying to call on my live i guess <laughs> um but he's calling in the middle of the live but um his ears were ringing his ears might be ringing yeah yeah um anyway so w- what's happening is uh, let me see if that um, I, it actually dropped out from aliens. that call. I don't know if that was from me or him dropping out because that looks normal. So it's just my phone. Um, but anyway, what I was gonna say, I missed it. I, I got um, I got sidetracked. <laughs> hundred yards, green mill. Hundred yards. Oh yeah, hundred yards, green mill. So you were doing all your work at a hundred yards of green mill, mm-hmm. and um, then you realized I need wind. Mm-hmm. Because Green Mill, no wind gets in there. It's such big berms. You're in the middle of a housing complex. But you started out the craft drill stuff at 100 doing the tripod work on paper, close range on small targets. Mm -hmm. But then from that point, you needed to add the wind to it. Mm -hmm. So then you needed to go to distance. Exactly. Exactly. And at distance, I think a great entry point is the, the distance of the gun number of your gun. Because then deviations you can measure in tenths if you're if you're using a mill reticle and every tenth is going to be a deviation of a mile an hour of course i mean you know some people are gonna say well that you know you need to take into consideration your group size and 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 stereo deviation and so on and so forth but but mathematically those averages will be a tenth per mile an hour you know plus or minus you know your addition to that but that that's kind of how it works and so so then you're you're going to be able to start getting metrics that are associated with 
a measurable thing. And also, you know, if you're shooting really tight at 100 and you want to be able to diagnose fundamental errors, but your groups are so good, you, you know, you need to push it out. So people a lot of times ask me, like, well, you know, I what what happens, or, or if they shoot 22s or something at close range and they say, well, here's my craft group, but it's just this little hole in the middle of the diamond. I say, well, shit, shoot it at 100 yards instead of 25 or 50 mm-hmm. because you need it to open up to see what, what's happening. So, But if it opens up too much, like that's not good either. So you got to find that zone that you're testing the right thing that gives you the ability to kind of hash out what happened you, with those. Like you want to shoot groups on paper. Like you, like once you zero your scope, get away from a hundred. Mm-hmm. Two is where you shoot groups. You're, you're like if you're shooting a half minute at a hundred, you are not going to shoot one inch at two. You're you're um you're going to be uh shooting one and a half at two. So you're shooting a, a half minute group at a hundred. You go to two hundred on paper. You're going to be a minute and a half, probably. You're not going to be one inch. You know, it, it, that one to two to three, you know, I shot a half inch at 100. I'm going to shoot one inch at two. I'm going to shoot, you know, whatever at three inch. And it, that doesn't work like that. It mm-hmm. grows exponentially. So you definitely have to, um, uh, you know, look at what you're doing that way. Right, right. Because you see... You know, the, the linear models of, well, if I shoot one inch at 100, then it'll be two, then three, then four. But what what, what often gets left out or, or some people bring in to excess, like Brian Litz likes to show that, that, well, you know, as you get out with distance, you've got time of flight issues that the bullet has to deal with considering the BC and the environmental changes and the direction of fire and, and all every and the temperature and, all you know, every everything starts to become more and more obvious as you get out from where you're shooting from so so in a vacuum yes everything would stay linear but in the real world it doesn't yeah never linear it's never linear uh that way and and so yeah shoot your groups at 200 and 300 just zero your scope at 100 and then unless you're doing tripod which tripod's fine if you're doing the craft drill at 100 you're gonna see your errors but if you're shooting prone and you're doing like, you know, shooting groups to see how guns your your good your gun is, everything's going to look great at 100. I mean, that's just the, the the reality of it, you know. Yeah. But those zones, you know, they they start stacking things in and so it, it's good if you if you are really good and you're working some environmental things, you really do want to have that distance to really hash that stuff out because you've got those layers and that foundation already there. We need to test your limits by exposing you to those variables that are far away. And I think that's what ELR shooters love, right? They, they've got their fundamentals down and the F-class shooters, they get their fundamentals down, they're consistent. So they have this distance parameter where it's testing their wind. Well, in part of the ELR crew, like talking, cause I talk to Paul Phillips all the time, which is one of the higher end ELR guys out there and talking to them. Everything changed when they stopped trying to simulate it. What they were doing, because it was hard for a lot of ELR guys to get out and get range that was ELR type ranges. So you went to these guys, maybe they had a thousand yard range available to them, probably didn't. So what a lot of ELR guys were doing was load development and then what can only be described as simulation. Right? They were shooting tall targets and they were doing these things. But really, they weren't grouping at distance. Well, what happened was is sort of that that teams started making sure they were doing it for real. And that completely changed everything when you talk to them. That the fact is, I can try to do all these things and simulate me shooting far, but nothing was the same as shooting far. You know, so you could, until you did it, you weren't going to fake it. And you could make those, my guess is, I didn't have those conversations, but, but having hard data books, it, it, it often goes back to some of the old school stuff of, if you have a hard data book, you could say, you know what, I can't explain it, but here's my numbers over all this time. When we do this, we get a weird effect. And later on, you could, you could figure out what that actually means. But if you don't, you're... Yeah, a lot of simulations just don't Well, that work. was John Armstrong when I did the uh, ELR event at SHOT Show. 
So they had a, a published years ago, a published ELR event, SHOT Show. It was going to be right before. I volunteered to RO it. I was the only RO. I ran the line. I saw every single shooter. So we go out to front site. We're getting ready to do the ELR. One of the competitors, his ELR gun didn't show. He wasn't ready. He took a 7mm hunting rifle with a super sniper 10x scope on it. He was an older gentleman. He sat on a wooden bench, a portable wooden bench, and his dope was written in marker down the side of the bench. He was the first one to go three for three at a mile. And one of the, like, only like four people did the, 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 the world record event. And it was, the rule was three for three. You had to hit first, second, and third. Then there was a four-hour break. Then you come back in the afternoon and you can pick a new range or do something like that. This guy was the first one to get a world record hit, three for three. And he was using a 7mm with a 10x scope on a wooden bench with his dope written in marker down the side. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You know That's what I mean? Awesome. So, like, the whole thing and, and what it was is he shot it, he doped it, he wrote it down. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which is awesome, right? Yeah. But you got to do it. Like, that's what that, that, like there's really no substitute for the time doing the actual thing too. And, and some things double in for training, but some don't. And some things you just got to see for yourself. Like, um, you know, there's, there's days out at, at the range where, where, where the, you know, you, you shoot to a thousand you're like, okay, well, I'm going to take a shot at, at, at a mile. And you're like, okay, well, if the wind at a thousand was 12 miles an hour, I'm gonna hold 12 miles an hour for a thousand and you shoot a thousand. You're like, shit, that was 36 miles an hour. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and you shoot back at a thousand, it's 12. Back at a, uh, at a mile and it's 36 and then back at a thousand, it's 12. And then, so you, so you're like, wait a minute, what's going on? And then you start thinking about wind shears and the, 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 the max ordinate of the bullet. And you say, you know, when the wind's coming from the Northeast, it's often double or triple what we see at a thousand when we go to a mile. And that's just the trend that you see from wind from the Northeast. But when wind's coming from the Southwest, you know, it's going to be the same in a thousand as it is a mile. And, and it's like, okay, well, you don't know that until you've shot it. And there's really no other indicators other than, well, you know, we're going to either hit it or be really close or we're going to be off by triple the wind speed, you know, or some, yeah, yeah. something like that. But you write it down and then you know, like now I know when the wind's coming from here, if we're going to take a, a, a shot out there, if the wind's coming from specific directions, oftentimes the max ordinate you know, the winds there are going to be much higher than, and, and, you know, for whatever reason, that east-west versus west-to-east, the, the, the wind speed in one of those directions is much different as you go up in, in the air. And so, you, you know, there's no substitute for actually doing it and just knowing. Yeah, and totally. I'm, I'm answering. Somebody's calling the, um, they're calling the, the, the key slot on the, on the AI. I did a picture of uh, Laura's rifle with oh, the key yeah. in the, in the ATX has the key slots that point up. Mm -hmm. And so they're calling it Dick mod <laughs> and they're saying you're erect Dick mods and stuff. And, 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 but yeah, they work, man. It's, it's just being funny. I just thought it was hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> The um and then and then you know actually what what kind of kicked this off is just talking about we were you know, you know Frank Frank's like oh I think it's it's three categories like small medium large and I was thinking man there's some things that are you know these kind of dichotomous ways of training that 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 you can't you, you, you know like so so I had, I had written down heavy recoil versus no recoil and I get that question a lot and and this we could probably hash it out into three and then we did for the air rifles twenty twos and center fires as like a triple instead of a double. But it's almost four because when you get into magnums, like we'd yeah. almost have to take the 22s and blend them with the air rifle a little bit, but they're mm -hmm. not exact. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to the center fires, you got to. So there's really a fourth category in the magnum world. Mm -hmm. But the magnums, depending on how heavy you make it, you can almost get away with a center fire hold on it. Where you run into a problem with the magnums is when they're too light. So when they take a hunting rifle light, versus an ELR gun heavy, that sort of screws that model up in the Magnum world. Mm -hmm. um, but small, medium, large does work because, like, you need to talk about the air rifle stuff because right. you've been getting – if anybody noticed, there is a air rifle section on Sniper's Hide now. 
and we're seeing this precision air rifle, especially out of like air rifles of Utah, or Utah air rifles is growing big, and it's becoming a really big thing. Like everybody that saw the 22 stuff take off, the air rifles are doing a very similar. So you can get yeah. into what you noticed with the recoil with them. Yeah, I went out and shot with the Utah air gun guys and with, with Boyd Linder. Because I, I'm fascinated with what you can train with air rifles, not only in and of themselves, but as trainers for centerfire stuff. And you, you often hear kind of people going one of two ways. One, they go to a heavy recoil, and the other one, they go to light. And I think they train fundamentally two different things. So let's talk about the air rifle observations. They have no recoil like literally no recoil they've got less recoil than a 22 so if you shoot a 22 and you're like this has no recoil the air rifles have no recoil at all they're actually backwards because of the way the spring and air works like the spring ones that's why it breaks scopes because the spring in an air rifle works backwards on on like the spring model ones and mm. they'll break a centerfire rifle scope because the recoil's in the wrong way Mm-hmm. And and so that's why, like, when they make these other rifles for air rifles, it's very specific. Hmm. What I noticed is that, but so, the air tanks, I think, are different. Sorry to. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. Um, yeah, I, I I can't. I don't know anything about other than just these these things that I saw, which were Utah air guns brings in air guns from all over the place, and then they custom part them and fit them. So they they've got MDT chassis. They've got you name it, they can take a chassis, they can take the barrel of one rifle and the buttstock of another. So they, they, they custom build these rifles and then they tune them and they're incredibly accurate. You know, these guys were shooting groups of under an inch at 300 yards on paper and they were shooting essentially one hole and they have an indoor range that's 30 yards and, and they had tuned those rifles such that if you used your fundamentals correctly, the, the pellets were going through the exact same hole repeatedly. So their, their accuracy and precision was unbelievable. But what I noticed was because there's no recoil, you, you didn't have to apply recoil management, right? And so you could lose that. And Boyd talked to that on a podcast before that, that he gets a little bit lazy with his recoil management when he trains too much air rifles. But what you gain is your inputs, your natural point of aim. So, you're, you know, maybe because with a center fire, we apply natural point of aim to also accommodate recoil management. I've started to think about those a little bit different because the inputs, the things that are contacting the rifle, the way that you drive them, any movement is going to cause a deviation in where the bullet's going. And so that component of the air rifles, I don't think you can rival it. If you want to be consistent with where you grip it, and how you connect to it, that pellet will deviate every minor change that you do. And so a consistent air rifler is one that gets on the rifle and shoots it exactly the same. The bullet will go through the same hole over and over and over again. But if you grip it... Index I, marks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And so they had marks. And, and, and people like um, Josh Lemon, he, his centerfire rifle has all this Sugru on it so that he could index just perfectly. But if you index different, and I did the test, shot hundreds and hundreds of pellets, indexing slightly different. Where was this finger, this finger, this pressure, this pressure? And you could track where the pellet was going. And then some of those guys shot, and it was hole through the hole, through the hole, through the hole. And I think, shit, they're doing everything. And I was filming them. And I was doing it. Then I would shoot it hole through the hole through the hole. And then I would let up a little bit on my thumb. Bing. It would move. I would put a little bit more pressure on my trigger. Bing. It would go this way. Bing. It would go that way. Holy (laughs) shit. But so, but what you get with an air rifle is you get, you have a little bit higher entry point for cost Mm -hmm. for a good one. Yeah. Yeah. They're two grand, two to three grand. Right. These are, they're not cheap, but after that initial investment, Virtually free, like like fractions of rimfire cost for ammo, right? You're talking about thousands and thousands of pellets for fifty bucks, isn't it? <laughs> for, for for yeah, for dollars, mm-hmm. and all you have to do is refill the air tank. So so the initial investment is high, but then I think you have a lifetime of the ability to shoot it, and their barrels don't shoot out. So you could have ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand pellets through these barrels. 
and they just don't shoot out. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And, and so that, I think that the training value, if you're worried about consistency, it's probably unrivaled for consistency in how you index and how you control your natural point of aim. But what you don't get is recoil management. Yeah. I mean, and that's the key is we're the precision rifle guys, right? So we want to look at these different rifle systems and how we're addressing them because it's totally not one size fits all. We have a small, medium, and large component to this. The air rifle is the smallest amount of influence you want to use. You know, you go to the 22s and it's different. Then it's like bench rest, right? What is a bench rest guy trying to do? Get as far away from that rifle as he can when he shoots it. They want something that actuates that trigger without them touching it. So it's an engineering race, Mm -hmm. right? And then we go into what we're doing and we're all influenced. We're all over that gun. We're we're like on it and, and maybe playing these different disciplines will allow us to find these little keys, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's keys scattered all over the world and we're running around trying to find these keys to make things go a certain way. And and that's what Chris and I are talking about. I mean, recoil management, I mentioned this a million times. Recoil management tells the bullet where the barrel is on release. Mm-hmm. If I recoil different than the other guy, my bullet's gonna go in another place. That's why people in the past had different zeros from each other. He manages recoil one way. I manage recoil a different way. Now we all try to get straight, 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 straight and square behind a rifle and try to do things the same way. You can find picking up Chris's rifle, my rifle, your rifle. We're very similar in our groups today because we all shoot the same, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what's going on with this world. Yeah. What I think is great for our classes, though, is that a student's now going to be able to come out to us and we're going to sh- they're going to shoot paper and do some things. And we say, OK, they have an issue that we need to diagnose. OK, we're going to have you shoot two groups, one with the air rifle and one with this 308. The air rifle is going to diagnose your inputs and the 308 is going to diagnose your recoil management. And then you know exactly what you need to work. Are you driving it forward? with natural point of aim shifts or are you improperly managing the recoil and those two things would be able to say okay cool because they they mean you need to train something different and 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 so taking one rifle and saying well it could be this and it could be that it'll take 20 30 40 rounds mm-hmm. to figure out which one it is whereas this will say okay we got an issue we need to divide whether it's one thing or another use use the no recoil and use a heavy recoil and it'll tell you which one we need to work on. Now, once you've figured that out, now now we have something specific to change you as a shooter as fast as possible. And and you don't waste rounds on your barrel. And we figure out right away, okay, cool, you're not indexing the same every time. Which part of you isn't indexing the same every time? Or you index fine every time, but when that rifle shoots, it's moving around in your body because of some mm-hmm. reason and you're not managing the recoil, so it's driving the the rifle, you're losing control of the rifle and it changes to the point of impact. Bam. We figure that out and only takes a couple shots probably. And we say, all right, we need to work on your position. We need to work on your ability to manage that recoil. And and then we don't waste time doing the wrong thing. Right. And that's, I was having this exact conversation with MDT at shot show. Cause here I am behind the, like one MDT just released their shot timer. Their shot timer connects to the phone, will overlay your stats onto a video you take. So if you film yourself, your shot timer will overlay the information to your video. Okay, so they're looking at connectivity. Well, now the MDT owns the send it level, the electronic level. That has the ability to include connectivity. Then they're creating an electronic trigger. Their electronic trigger is also going to have connectivity and will register your trigger press, your pressure, your sustains, and your dwells, right? So it's going to know how long you were on the trigger, how much force you applied in which directions, and what's going on with that. If you take all that information and put it together, you're now building a picture of you as a shooter, So in discussing this with MDT, I said to them, if you 
add this connectivity to these products and it's available, why as a precision rifle instructor would I not have a full MDT connected system to put you on for a fundamental eval to look at your trigger press dwell sustain and all those things exactly like Chris is talking about. But today we don't have that ability. What we do have is different systems we can put you on where we know the air rifle is going to do one thing and the 308 is going to do another. So that's another way of diagnosing a problem while at the same time putting you on a different system and looking at what all these things were doing. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you hash that out, that's this small, medium, large, Yes. You know, you got the no recoil. We're looking at these, these particular fundamentals. You got heavy recoil, you got these fundamentals. And then in between is with that zone where you're going to be competing and and blending it it all together. And if you think about like trigger controls are number one, trigger, trigger, trigger sells us so much. And a lot of what it is, is we're looking at, you know, we're off our bellies. We're not connected necessarily to the rifle except through shoulder, right? So the rifle is weighted. It's on a bag, on a tripod, connected to our shoulder. Well, what we're finding out is, yes, trigger control is always going to be a main thing. But MPA is becoming huge because of recoil management, because you're no longer connected in such a manner that you can deviate that way, MPA is becoming much more important. How you point that rifle at the target and then address yourself behind it is going to determine how it moves and whether or not you hit or miss that target. So you're looking at trigger control and MPA as some of our biggest influences I mean, breathing is sort of going away a little bit because of the weight of the rifle and you're able to back off recoil management and eliminate the wobble zone, right? So you got guys using managed recoil, backing off the pressure and their wobble zone shrinks to an acceptable. That's getting rid of your breathing because our wobble zone is really our breathing in a lot of ways and our body movements that are naturally happening when because we're alive, you know? And, And so... That's sort of what we're looking at where we can figure out how to fine tune that MPA for us, right? Because I, all the time I take people, I have heavy headed people constantly in the prone that are pushing a rifle over. I will re-index their rifle to 1130, right? Or whatever, whatever direction they're pushing. So it's like, okay, I don't want a 12 o'clock rifle for a right-handed shooter, I want a one like a 1231 o'clock because when they push their head to the right, they're going to push it straight. The lefties are always pushing it. So that's where I am got the 1130 from because I'm always fixing a friggin' lefty because you guys are constantly pushing the rifle over. So for a lefty who's got a problem, I will set the rifle to 1130. Why? Because he's going to push it to 12 o'clock. But if I put it to 12, he's going to push it over and then... Right, he he's going to be at eleven thirty when he shoots. Yeah, in 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 so or whatever, you know what I mean. He's going to push it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So I think you have that. I mean, yeah, that that's that's so awesome, and I like that test that you had of, of you know to circle back for the NPA test, like because everybody could do that, right? You don't have to just go out at night, but just put black, you know, black target so you can't see your holes, and then get all set up, and then close the scope cap. Or have somebody close somebody close it. Cap. Yeah, you don't want to reach up, but have somebody close it for you. Wait ten right. to fifteen seconds, gun command, and then see what you look like. Yeah, or hold a sheet of paper in front of the scope. Yeah, you know, yeah. Then, and then, all right, I'm ready. You know, and then set it. And- yeah, just have a buddy. Like I, I, you know, I'll even like a demonstration. I'll do with Mark. Mark will bring us like TRG three thirty eight out, and I'll hold my hand on the scope, and then. When he shoots, I ask everybody, how far did it move off my hand? And it's usually like a quarter of an inch. Like it barely separates from my hand with his recoil management. And it's like, he's shooting a 338. And it didn't move. And that's like a thing with video. Like we can film ourselves and know nothing moved. 
So stop flinching. Stop worrying about it. It doesn't move. It made a loud bang. Double up your ears. We're sound, right? It's sound. So double up your ears if you find you're flinching. Especially Magnum, guys. If you're a 300 win mag guy who flinches, double your ears. You know, that kind of stuff. But yeah. anyway, that's that's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ears thing, that makes a huge difference. It yeah. made a huge difference for me. Just always have it like putting in foamies and ears or electronic ears and then foam or muffs on the outside. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. Yeah, if you cut stuff. the sound out, you'll end up being that much more with everything. It, it'll work out really, really well and, and, and be great. But yeah, I mean, you guys kind of can see what's going on there and, and, and see what's happening. But um, like we're getting people in, but we're not getting like nobody's commenting. Nobody's coming in, but we're adding like people and followers but I, I still think the disconnect is slightly there um, for well, the some of it. I mean, just dropping in and doing it. Is, uh, yeah, because I did a stream a thing. Test, anyway, we're doing no worries. The has been good. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's gr- looking great. Yeah. I fi- It totally fixed this problem. Like, I changed my router. We were having that drop issue, drop issue, drop issue. And this totally fixed the drop issue. And then even just, um, like, I'm looking at this. Uh, on the live, hang on, let me go to my live, pop into the live, like, I mean, this looks really, really good, so if anybody, I mean, we're super clear, Yeah. so if anybody's kind of interested in, in what's going on with the live, and, and you want to see what it looks like, but we're like super clear with all that, and it looks pretty good. We added followers, though, I could see that people are coming in and wanting to follow it. I think following the podcast is going to, or the uh, live is going to be the best way until we fix the little shimmy shuffle between the desktop and the app. You have to go into the desktop, link your Sniper's Hide account to Hide TV. It's just a button. You'll see like the community to the right. Click on that. It'll automatically link your account. And then once it's linked, going into the app, it'll fire right up. But if you're turning the app on because you see the live and it's telling you you're not connected like Chris is, it looks like this, and you can go in this video and see it. If you look like that, you have to go to your desktop, and that'll clear that out. But if you're um, if you're in, uh, once you're out of the desktop there, then you can use the app. But basically, we upgraded the high TV system, and it has to get relinked. And so that's what happened is we did a major upgrade um. Uh, yeah, and I got Surgeon George texting me. Uh, hang on about the new high or uh, uh, Seekins mount. The new Seekins mount is awesome. Oh shit! What is this doing? I wanted to get him. Hang on. Uh, he's asking questions. Oh Jesus Christ! We should. We should there. cut this and then we should try to pull Jacob in and see if we can get a live. Yes, I got to um, link Jacob. So Jacob just called. Um, yeah, so I have to, uh, I'm going to be able to bring people in, but I have to set their account up ahead of time that he's a manager account so he can live in with me. But at, in the future, I will be able to bring as many as 50 people in on the live the bitch is, is I can't just pull a random person in on the live. I have to make them a manager to access the oh, backside. Right, right, right. Gotcha. Like I can't, like they have to access my backside. And so that's the only uh, thing, but I will be able to try and get. That's only uh, fans or fans only. Is yeah, only we'll do like fans only. Because even this, backside? there is a way to call, like what we did earlier when I screwed that up, that was a call in. Oh, so like we I were, guess that makes sense because because your phone is like end call, mm-hmm. end call, like what? Yeah, so I was there's actually a lobby feature and a thing I got to learn how to use. I did a I did a training on it on Wednesday and I still screwed it up somehow. So uh, yeah, I mean we're working good and and we got it working well now. But um, yes, there are so many things we are going to be able to do with this live system. And like I said, the picture looks great. I'm going to be able to take it out to the field. We just need weather to fucking cooperate. We've had the worst weather in the last two weeks on the planet. Um, Like today's like 35 mile an hour winds. There's a sandstorm around the corner. 
Um, yeah, it's yeah, just it's like, nasty. It's like Dune. Dune out there. Yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> also, too, for... It's going to snow on Tuesday. Yeah, it's going to snow. And, and, and But anyway, the other thing, too, is you guys listening to the podcast, the Sniper Side Podcast. Or the everyday sniper podcast, I guess, right? Um, you can go into the high TV and watch this. So you're if you're listening to it on the podcast, you're hearing it at the same time. But if we do a live that is not connected to the podcast, well then you can go into the high TV and it archives the videos. So you can go back and listen to us, watch us, have us play in the background, and you don't have to watch the live in the moment. Because they are all archived and saved. And so we have all that going on. It'd be good to figure out like when the most people would want to watch it live. And we just make a regular, like we're doing this, you know, Fridays at 5 p.m. Or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the thing is we're definitely going to want to um, get in with the, get a schedule. Because like I said, I want to eventually turn the lives into more like a tv channel so guys that um you know this would be like a tv show for you and um it, you'll be able to tune in to that time slot you know i kind of been all over the place because we're working through what days are available and what we can do and and all that but um eventually we will get other people to be able to access the live we will get groups, and, and I want it to be sort of like the high TV, which is why I build it as high TV, that you'll know on Wednesday at 6 o'clock, Chris and Frank will be on, you know, unless I'm away or something like that. Or on Friday, maybe Chris Roberts is going to be on, you know, or Way will be on on Monday, and this guy will be on here. And that's eventually where I want to go with this. Now, because we did this kind of, midstream upgrade and I have to relink everything the way that I'm doing where some people are missing the stream and other people are getting it. Once that's corrected, what it'll be is, hey, Frank and Chris or Frank or whoever's going live, you'll see the notification at the bottom of the app. It turns red and then you'll be able to do all that stuff. But that's where we're going with all of this. You know? Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Hey, I'm going to end the podcast, guys. You guys with the podcast, go on. We got you your hour in there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper podcast. Uh, hopefully, this will work out pretty good for you that we did it both like this. But uh, let me know. Give me some feedback. Tell me what you think, and we'll go from there. But uh, thanks for being on the Sniper's Hide Live with the Everyday Sniper podcast. Mm. Mm.